Again, good morning, and it's so good to see each one of you. Thank you for joining us in worship here. We believe that this is not by chance that you are here, but because God has led us here together for a specific purpose and a specific reason, if nothing else, for His name to be glorified and His people to be lifted up. Uh, we, uh, we have been praying all week, the elders and I, for, for you all and uh, what's taking place and know that it's going to be, be a blessing. Uh, speaking of blessings, the past several weeks, it seems like I've just had people dropping in on me unannounced, and I had another group of friends come, Terry, Tim, and Joel Oaks, another good preacher buddy friend of mine, and, uh, and his wife and his son, just wonderful people, so it's good to have them here this morning. Uh, and uh, before we get started, as I usually do, I like to share just a little, little bit of humor that I heard this week. There was a man who was talking with God one day. And he uh, started talking to God about just the difference in, in heaven and earth and, and how things operate there. And he said, God, how long is a million years to you? He said, oh, a million years, that's it's just a second for me. A million years to you is, is nothing compared to me. It's just like a second. The man said, oh, okay. Well, how about a million dollars? How much is a million dollars to you? And he said, well, a million dollars is, is but a penny to me. Well, the man finally braved up enough courage and he said, God, can I have a million dollars? And God said, give me a second. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good. Well, as we get started this morning, uh, let us pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you for bringing us here giving us this opportunity to praise and to worship you and your house, to glorify and exonerate your name. Uh, Lord, we have come because you were worthy of praise. And thank you for accepting our meager offerings that we bring. But Father, now we come at this moment in our worship, and we come as worship, Lord, to your word, uh, to hear what you have said, and then in turn do what your word says to do. Lord, to approach your word not only for comfort, but also for conviction. And Lord, we ask that you pour out both this morning. Lord, encourage the believer, but also encourage us to grow in deeper fondness in our relationship with you. Father, we know that sometimes this world can get the best of us. Sometimes it leads us astray. But thank you, Lord, for being there for when we come back, welcoming us in your arms. And Lord, helping us become more like you, that the next time we'll be less like the world. Father, show us how to be this way in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's all right. You can open up a bulletin or look. It is on the screen uh, for you this morning. William, you back there to flip the slides for me, brother? Okay, just didn't see you. His head wasn't peering out on top of the monitor there. <laughs> there he is. All right. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. We shall begin with verse 1 and read to verse 10. This is what the Scripture says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by, your, by His grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I was in college, I worked in an office, and my boss found herself to be out of the office quite a bit. And so when she was out of the office, on her desk there was a set of these pads. You ever seen these before? But while you were out. While you were out. You know, and it was appropriately named for her, while you're out, because she spent so much time out of the office. When she would leave, those of us who worked in the office were required to fill in for her in her absence and take notes of people who would call or who would drop in uh, to make sure that she didn't miss anything. And it would always never fail. There would usually be a gigantic stack on her desk when she, get back, when she got back. I don't know what meeting she was going to, but they lasted forever. And, and we would just constantly take calls and, and see people on, on her behalf. And these, this pad that was on her desk, these notes that we took, it just proved that despite the fact that she left the office and she would go to a meeting or she would take lunch and, or whatever else she decided to do, it just proved to us that life and work in the office continued uh, despite her absence. I believe this is a similar picture to what's taking place in the opening of this passage when Paul says these words, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of those who are disobedient. Again, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What this tells us is while we were still out in the world, while we were still wandering around in sin, while we were unaware of the gravity of the destination of our eternal soul, whether rest or disrest, unrest, for all of eternity, that there was a great war going on for us. In fact, our very soul was being fought for. I love the words of this, of this song. It's not old, but it was written by someone who probably is a little old. Wonderful songwriter, Bill Gaither, who said, There's a line that's been drawn through the ages, and on that line stands an old rugged cross. And on that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or its loss. I love that poetic imagery that he used in that song. Because while we were unaware of what was taking place, before we ever knew that we needed a Savior, one was dying for us. One had already died 
for us. Church, this again is the gospel message. A Savior who died an unjust death, but rose as holy God who offers both His blood that cleanses sin and His life that allows whosoever believeth on Him to live forever, to never perish. A life free from sin. This church is the gospel message. Gospel, again, meaning good news. And this good news is a direct result of God's love for us. I love this Scripture in Romans, and I love the New Living Translation that said, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before we ever knew that we needed a Savior, before we ever knew what it meant to be lost, before we ever knew of eternal life, Christ was working a way for us. Thousands of years, our time, before we ever stepped on the scene, Christ was making a way for us. And He still, through His blood, makes a way for everyone who will ever live until He comes again. Isn't it wonderful that there's a God who loves us that much? That He would do such a great thing for us. But yet, despite this great love showed to us, despite this great love poured out to us before we were aware of it, it doesn't mean that some will still not accept it. Despite all that God has done, there are still some who will not accept it. While we were unaware of God's great actions on our behalf, though we might have accepted it, as many of us have gathered here today, call ourselves Christians, bought by the blood of Christ, there are those who have still not yet reciprocated God's love. But yet, I want to tell you today, church, just because people don't accept Christ does not diminish God's call to whosoever might believe. Just because people do not accept Jesus does not diminish His call, does not make Him any less holy a God than what He is. And certainly does not diminish that wonderful work that He accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb. You see, church, the reality is this. To be without Christ, we call this being lost. We don't just call it that for our sake today, but the Scriptures have called that of people who are not in Christ, that they are lost. And being lost without Christ is the equivalent of death. Death specifically meaning a life not worth living. Not just death, but a life not worth living in God's eyes because He knows where that life will take us to a place where He is not. Someone who is lost without Christ may say, I'm not dead. I'm very much alive. But yet, this is the false facade of sin. Without Christ, we may feel like we can gain a bit of status, a bit of attention, in this world. But when we die our natural death, what does the success of this world mean in comparison to the eternity that we shall spend? Nothing. <laughs> Heat, yeah, lots of it. <laughs> but what about our pursuits of our own pleasures? Will they uphold us in the eternity that waits for us without God? The things that we thought satisfied us, the things that we thought 
brought pleasure to our lives and enjoyment, will they uphold us when we are on the other side of eternity without God? No, absolutely not. You see, church, without a proper perspective of life, and that life is nothing without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, not only are we dead, but the cravings and the thoughts and the deeds and the desires that once gratified us, they're going to die too. The Bible tells us that not only will those who are lost will perish without Christ, but the evil things of this world, they will perish. The evil thoughts, the evil desires, the evil actions, the things that we once gave into. Hallelujah for the Christian. Those things are not a part of heaven. Those things are not a part of our future reality. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad I can say today that I am saved. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've told you this before, but I say it again. I am looking forward to the day where my actions will not affect other people. I am looking forward to the day when my sin is not going to cause somebody else grief in this life. I am looking forward to the day when I can say that I am 100% pure and everything I do from this point forward is always godly. I am looking forward to that. I preached a service yesterday for a man who, who passed away and I stood before those people and I told them, locked out of heaven is all sin, strife, sorrow, pain, resentment, all the things that we say make this world evil, they are not in heaven. Locked out of heaven are these things, but locked in is us with God. An impenetrable fortress, never to be broken. Boy, I am absolutely looking forward to this day. But the fact is that as many of us who have accepted this call of Christ, there are still some who are suffering with the reality that the wages of sin is death. The verse goes on to say, the second half, this is A, so B says, but the gift of God is eternal life with Christ Jesus. But we can't know what that means to be saved unless we first understand what it means to be lost, which is the wages of sin is death. That's a reality too for the saved person, but the second part negates the first. If we are in Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about sin anymore because we're not going to die in it. We shall live in Christ. But there are so many people who are stuck in repeat, 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 and repeat of this part of Scripture. This is the reality of living, the only reality they'll, that they'll ever know, that the wages of sin is death. And as long as they, or maybe even we in this room today, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, as long as we identify with sin, we're going to die with it. If we identify in sin, we're going to die with it. But yet if we identify in Christ, we will live with Him. Church, who do we identify with? Because if we identify with sin, we are indeed lost. Lost. Imagine, if you would with me for just a moment, a great kingdom ruled by a kind and benevolent king. In this kingdom of love and light, the citizens are happy and they are content and they're protected by the great king who supplies with them everything they truly need. And in return, they are required only to rely on the great king and try to obey his laws. 
Everyone knows, though, that the enemy kingdom across the sea claims to be much better. Rumors of great pleasure, untold prosperity, and unlimited freedom abound. Its agents constantly lure the servants of the great king to defect and join them across the sea, offering them convenient transportation on clandestine smuggling ships. Many people are seduced by this offer, and they leave the good kingdom for the rival shores. They arrive euphoric with expectation, and at first everything seems wonderful. But before long, many begin to notice a sinister hollowness in the way of life in the enemy kingdom. They are certainly not as happy as they thought that, that they would be. Then they discover the truth that all of this that they're experiencing is a hoax. The real situation is gruesome and fearsome. The enemy, kingdom is a, the enemy king is a cruel tyrant, and everyone is actually his slave. The bland food and polluted water are dangerously low. Drought and famine constantly threaten. Many are dying of starvation and disease and violence. Crime and anarchy are all around. But there is good news. The great king knows the plight of those who have defected to the enemy kingdom. And even though they have rejected him and rebelled against him, he wants them back desperately. And at great expense, he has constructed a fleet of rescue ships that offer a free return shuttle back to the kingdom of love and light. And the wonderful news is there's always one anchored offshore at the enemy kingdom waiting. Waiting. A loudspeaker pleads for anyone and everyone to come back to the great king who offers a complete pardon and complete rehabilitation in his kingdom. The loudspeaker broadcasts the clear and simple instructions on how to escape the cruel tyrant and how to get on the rescue ship. If they will. Now the main elements of this allegory should be clear. The great king is God. The enemy king is Satan. And those who allow themselves to be seduced by the enemy king are sinners. The fleet of the rescue ships represent the redemption accomplished through Jesus Christ. I cannot think about being lost in sin without this, this imagery. Uh, Jack Cottrell, a wonderful leader in our Christian church movement today, still living, wrote these words in his book, Face Fundamentals. And ever since I've read it, I've never forgotten it. Even though it's a story, we know that Jesus even used stories, parables, to communicate a great and wonderful truth of the kingdom of God. And this is that great truth communicated through this story that God not only has gone, but is going to great lengths to save not just us who have already been saved, but to save whosoever believes in His name, is baptized and commits their life to Him. He's willing to save anyone who so will believe from the grips of Satan and the grips of death that sin leads us to. Listen to verses 3-5 through five again of what we have read this morning. All of us who also lived among them, these other people of the world at one time while we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but but 
Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I love this about Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if a situation is dead. It doesn't matter if a person is dead. It doesn't matter if we say that all is done. It is finished. God says, no, I'm not done yet. We tend to think of death as finality, but God reminds us of His great power to resurrect even dead situations. Even when we thought there was no more hope, no more help, God steps in like He did with Lazarus and says, no, four days means nothing to me. If you believe, even though you die, yet shall you live. A wonderful truth still made available to us today. If we believe, even though we are dead in transgressions, yet shall we live. It is by grace you have been saved, as Paul goes on in Ephesians. And this is not of your own work. This is not of your own power. But it is only by the gift of God that this is accomplished. Church, God wants to save us, even though, as He tells us, we are deserving of wrath. Even though everything within us, we cannot argue it. We can try, but we cannot. You may try to be a good person, but our good works and deeds, our own earthly attempts, are not anything in the sight of God compared to even one sin committed in His sight in our life. God has said, though, that despite this nature of yours, deserving of wrath, you can have everlasting life. You can have eternal life. You can have it free from sin. You see, church, God is merciful. You see, mercy is God not punishing us for our sinful actions and desires. But God is not just merciful. He didn't just stop at not punishing us. No, God is also full of grace. And grace is God's calling us back to Him at any cost. Mercy is Him not punishing us. Grace is Him calling, back to, uh, back, calling us back to Him at any cost. You want to know what that cost is? Was Jesus. The gospel message. That cost of our soul is Jesus Christ. While we were still out in sin, God was making a way for us. While we are still out in sin today, He's making a way for us. Even those who are in Christ who are traversing into the areas of sin and dabbling in it, He's still making a way for us through His grace back to Jesus Christ. Still pleading with us and pleading with people to leave our lost state in sin and embrace the joy of being saved. Church, we will never know how wonderful it is to be in the fold of God, to be saved, if we don't understand what it meant for us at one time to be lost. Lost without hope. Lost without joy. Lost without a future. Church, we were stuck in sin, grinding our gears until Jesus Christ came and fixed that for us. Today we embrace salvation. We embrace salvation because God so desperately pleads with people. He so desperately pleaded with us and He so desperately pleads with people who are still out in the world because He knows that we need Him. Without Him, we have no hope of not only joy in this world, but eternal satisfaction. He knows that His holiness will condemn 
anyone who is lost without Him, condemn their sin. And the wonderful thing about God is even though we deserve that, even though His holiness says that 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 is how it's going to be, His loving nature takes hold because it tears Him apart that, that His creation just might be apart from Him. So in His love, He sent Jesus to die a sinless death in order that His blood might cleanse our sinful lives. Paul said in verse 8, that it is by this grace that you have been saved through faith. Faith that while we were still lost in sin, that God did indeed make a way for us through Jesus Christ. And also faith that God will save us through that same way. Not only belief in the message, but faith that that really happened. There are a lot of people who talk about Jesus, who know about Jesus, but they don't have faith that what they hear about Jesus was true. They have a hard time believing that in which they cannot see. Though I do believe that there is enough historical evidence, not just Scripture, but historical evidence to prove that Jesus was who He says He was, not just a man who lived, but a man who died and did miraculous things and did indeed rise again. The historical record proves this. There are still some people who do not want to believe it, that in their minds that they can't seem to believe it. And so we have to accept in faith not only Christ's redemptive work, but Christ Himself. And this is the only way that God can save us. That God can bring us from our lost state to our saved state. And it's God's grace. First believed through the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Recorded in this wonderful book. The most important message that has ever been told. Because you see folks, being saved means that we are no longer slaves to our old life. We're no longer slaves to our mistakes. We are no longer slaves to sin. No, as Paul said, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Romans chapter 6. I love this. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And though there are a few differences between what we see as slavery in our American past and the slavery that Paul was familiar with in his day, I need to say that the idea and the concept is still very much the same, that it is a person who is bound to the wills of one's owner. That's slavery. Basic definition, old and current. Someone who is bound to the wills of one's owner. An old preacher once talked about what he called the slave market of sin. He said that at one point in time, all of us have stood on the auction block. Owned at one time by the ways of the world and of sin. Lost in sorrow and pain. Not able to escape. Our captors wouldn't free us and our fellow slaves cannot save us themselves for they are bound themselves. A slave cannot buy a slave. No, only a free man can buy a slave. And that's why Jesus comes walking through the auction blocks every day to see whom He might buy with His blood. He walks by the slaves to substance. He walks by the slaves to pleasure. He walks by the slaves to self, seeing who might be bought that day. 
He has the ability to purchase anyone because his funds are unlimited. But he only purchases the ones who are ready to live and work for him in his household. See, some beg to stay where they are, thinking that it might be worse if they leave, unsure of the future. While there are still yet others who are ready to try another way of living, hoping that it will be better, and in Christ finding out that it certainly will be. He goes by every block, every day, and says to each one who will come and be with him, I'll buy him. I'll buy her. Though some accept, some still yet turn him down. The sad truth is that some people don't believe that Jesus could buy them and bring them out of the grip of sin. Some people believe that that He didn't really live and that He didn't really die and that He certainly didn't rise again. Some even, as I mentioned, don't believe in His very existence. And these are the people who were sadly lost without hope in Christ. But I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are lost, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm so thankful for those of you who have believed today that while you were out lost in sin, Christ came calling for you and for me, for us to be saved. I'm so thankful today that you accepted Him. That you desired to become a handiwork of His. Molded and used in His service in His household for His glory. You see, church, being a slave to righteousness is sort of a, sort of a wonderful term when you really think about it. If you're going to be a slave to anything, why would you not want to be a slave to righteousness? For righteousness means everything right, everything good, everything pleasing, everything holy. It can't be wrong because it's right. Why would we not, if we're going to be a slave one way or the other, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, why would we not want to be a slave to righteousness, to everything right and everything good? Why would we not want that? Why would the world not want that? Because church, to to be saved means that we have a new life. And we have it more abundantly, as Jesus has told us. Being saved from this world means that we're saved from death. That we shall live in eternity, free from the bondage of those things that held us back here for so long. To act as though they never have existed. Because God can't see them anymore. If we're going to be anyone's handiwork, why would we not want to be a handiwork of righteousness? A handiwork of God. Why would we want to be otherwise in the world a a handiwork of sin? Something that just leaves us marred and broken. The potter's willing to work with us, as David preached several weeks ago. The potter is willing to work with us and make us who he would desire us to be. But sin just builds us up enough just to tear us down. Like a kid with Legos. 
It's really sad to think about living that way. But there are some people who have made that their reality. Maybe that's your reality right now. But God is calling to you. He's calling to your rescue. He's coming through your auction block, seeking to purchase you, to take you from where you shouldn't be to bring you to where you should. God is calling out to you today, and if you haven't answered his call, I need to simply ask you, will you answer it today? Will you answer his call today? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for bringing us here, giving us this opportunity to hear your gospel once again. Lord, we don't take it lightly because there are so many people who, Lord, have never heard it. But Lord, there are also some who have heard it and don't understand it yet. Right now, to you, their ways seem strange and odd. Why would they believe? But to us who have been saved, we can speak of the understandable mysteries that you have made known to us now, Lord. The unmistakable glories of you, they make sense because we have seen Jesus. We have plugged him into our lives and we are now walking with you, experiencing life with you as you said that we should, as you have always intended, man and God walking together. Father, help us to share this gospel message, the most important message ever told to a world of people who need to hear it desperately. Father, that they might not see the cross as something confounding, but they might see it as something that has saving power. Father, I pray for all those who struggle, as I do in this world, trying to serve you while still yet the appeal of sin surrounds us. Embolden us, enable us to move beyond those things and understand more fully your grace and mercy and why we should never depart it. But Lord, also help those who have not accepted you today to hear your message, your gospel, to believe it for the very first time to be saved by it so that they are no longer lost in sin but raised in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray this prayer for anyone who who needs to hear it, Lord, and praying in thankfulness for what you have done through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. If you have never accepted